very significant UAP and disclosure developments with special guest Stephen Bassett. Episode 57 of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast Live Edition. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast, where we explore the unexplained and mysterious phenomena that have occurred throughout the state of Michigan and beyond. From UFO sightings to ghostly encounters, we delve deep into the stories, the evidence, and the theories behind these strange events. We are your hosts. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wayne. We are an educator duo that after an encounter with a triangular UFO in 2018 in Michigan, we decided to investigate UFOs and the paranormal. In this podcast, we will be speaking with eyewitnesses, experts, and researchers to uncover the truth about some of the most intriguing cases of paranormal activity in and around Michigan. Our goal is not to convince anyone of the existence of these phenomena, but rather to provide a platform for discussion and exploration. So, buckle up and join us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. On an escalator. There we go. Now you guys can hear me, right? <laughs> yes. Welcome, happy everybody. Saturday night. Oh, man. Do we have a show lined up for you guys? And we are so excited because after we had uh, Stephen Bassett on, he then contacted us about coming on the show right before Contact in the Desert. So obviously, we're going to have him come on and talk to us more about things that are going on in Washington, D.C., and everything else. So we're going to jump in on that in just a few minutes. But just wanted to thank everybody for joining us. It is the 27th of May, 2023, at the time of this recording, and we are currently live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, as always, we will be releasing the audio version of this podcast onto iTunes, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. So if you don't want to watch the video, that's cool. You will be checking us out on the audio. So tonight we're going to have back some more UFO, UAP disclosure information from Stephen Bassett. And if it seems like he was just on the show, which I was just explaining, he was. He was on our April 14th show back on episode 52. So if you want to check that out, make sure you go and look up episode 52 and uh, take a listen. Um, we also got some really cool, exciting news, didn't we, Michelle? Uh, we did from uh, the people over at Feedspot. Yeah, we are now on their top 100 podcast in Michigan, and we actually got number 61. So how cool is that for two and a half years of doing this and just starting the live show? We, uh, we made the 100 list. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I was kind of surprised that Michigan even had a hundred podcasts, <laughs> but I guess that there's a lot more oh, out there. So yeah. Yep. And, uh, we also are sharing a spot on that list with Bigfoot Michigan Rob. So that's really cool as well. And, uh, we'll be having him come on the show at some point here in the near future. Yeah. BMR will be back. 
So Michelle, well, we got to give our quick hellos, man. I don't even know where to start. We got a lot of people here tonight. Um, you know, I saw a hellfire there. There's, you know, of course, Mama Dorothy's on there. Uh, Diane, uh, guy is here. Straw dog, uh, alien girl, AKA Amy. We've got Jeanette here. Um, uh, we have Lisa Bowden. Yeah, we've Rick got Davis. Rick is here. We've got yeah. I said Straw Dog. Yeah, so we have uh, we have quite a few people here uh, at the start of this. So awesome! So thank you very much. And of course, we got to give a special shout out to Guy Merritt in the chat, our longtime friend and fellow. Uh, what do you want to say? Like witness to triangular UAPs, I guess, because. Uh, well, that and he's he was like, one of our first guests that helped confirm our sighting of a triangle. He's like the uncle of the family that yells people to get off their lawn or get off of his lawn. Yeah. So it's just it's family. Yep. So. All right, everybody. I've already see, received a couple emails with questions for Stephen when we bring him on here. Um, but if you do want to ask a question of Steven. We will try to get to your question, put it in all caps. And Michelle and I will try to do our best in juggling everything over here on this side of the screen so that we can get your questions to him. Um, I'm guessing we're only going to have him probably for about an hour or so. He's very busy. He's doing a media blitz and more power to him. This needs to happen. And uh, very, very, very happy that he is working as hard as he is and has been for a while. And we'll talk to him more about that and getting this disclosure out there. So, uh, Michelle, what about the, uh, you know, other stuff here? You know, we have to say that this live show and the pet, the podcast happens because of all of you guys, the viewers, the listeners of the show and your amazing support. If you want to continue to help support the podcast, links are below in the show description. Um, PayPal, Patreon, our link tree, you know, that takes you over to other things, buying a cup of coffee, the merch store. But one of the best ways to support the show is to like, share, and subscribe on YouTube. So the more subscribers and support we have, the more incredible content that we can bring to you guys. Absolutely. We also need to give a couple quick shout outs tonight to our supporters. So we have Hava H for her continued support as always. Awesome uh, supporter in our Patreon members, Tabin R and Cheryl G. Thank you for your continued support. All right. So, Michelle. Got to give a little bit of a background on Stephen Bassett so that we can really and get. And if you don't know who Stephen Bassett is by this time, then you need to get out of that rock and, and just stick your head up a little bit if you're into ufos and have an experience this is the guy you want to listen to well stephen bassett is a political activist uh disclosure advocate and the executive director of paradigm research group prg founded in 1996 to end a government imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial related phenomena he has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of disclosure the formal confirmation by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He has lectured around the world on the political implications of UAP ET phenomena and given over 1,200 
radio and television interviews. I bet you that's more like 1500 anymore. Probably. <laughs> PRG's advocacy work has been extensively covered by national and international media, including being featured on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and the Washington Post, and New York Times. All right. So without any further ado, let's get one of the most sought after people on this topic to talk to probably in the world at this point, Mr. Stephen Bassett. Hi guys. Hi folks. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm fine. Um, I was, I was reminded uh, last time we, we uh, talked and now again, this time that uh, uh, when I finished my first quarter at Georgia tech, uh, I wasn't particularly happy, but I had done really well. And I applied to Michigan, University of Michigan, to transfer. And they actually accepted me. And I could have possibly transferred to the University of Michigan in 1960, late uh, 65. And I elected not to. And it was one of the biggest mistakes in my life. It was a big mistake. And then in, in, in 1970, after I got my degree, I got accepted to Michigan State in uh, conditional acceptance in astrophysics, meaning, okay, come in, do a semester, and if, if you're any good, we'll let you stay. And it was 1970. The Vietnam War was raging. My brain was fried. Uh, I didn't go. So I tried to get up there with you, folks. I wish <laughs> I had made it, but I didn't. So what can I say? Well, yeah, you should have jumped on that, that U of M ride because uh... – what was it in 60? That was what did you say? 65? 65. Yeah. Yeah. The next year we had the huge UFO flap here in 66 and Ann Arbor. You could have been right there at ground zero for that, man. There's that. Plus you had the uh, Tom Hayden and the, uh, uh, the SDS, uh, these, uh, the, the anti-war groups were up there. I yeah. could have had a, would have been quite an experience, but I made one of those decisions you make when you're young, you really don't know enough to make the right call. So I didn't make it to Michigan, but whatever. Had I done that, I probably wouldn't be here today talking to you. So it's all good. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. It seems like that people get on the, the track to go somewhere and we still end up like where we're supposed to be. So if this is where you were supposed to be. Fair enough. Hey, you know, so what brings you back to the show? What What is the uh, the very significant uh, UAP and disclosure information you are wanting to talk about? Because uh, I know recently we had the April U.S. briefing from Dr. Kirkpatrick about Arrow. Mm -hmm. I know there's things going on with whistleblowers um, and giving actual testimony. And I do want to play you since you talked about coming to uh, Michigan a uh, whistleblower who's no longer alive that we had here in Michigan and I want you to hear his testimony because it is fantastic about what happened in 1966 he was actually the lead flight of the interceptors that uh, went to intercept these UFOs or a UFO over Ann Arbor and we have his sworn testimony and video that I would like to play for you at some point. But sure. let's go ahead and go back. What What's going on? First of all, there's things happening so often, so frequently, that 
there's a basis to come back on the show every two weeks, right? So uh, it's, what can I say? It's just the way it is. And you and I'll do any show, anytime. Just put a mic in front of me and off I go. This is my job. I'm an actor. Hey, that's that's awesome, man. That just shows your passion, you know? And I'd like, you know, hopefully one day soon I'll get back on some of the big cable news networks and be able to give some thoughts to that. Until then, hey, and even then, I could become a big cable star. I trust you. I'll be doing all the podcasts because the podcast revolution that you're part of is changing journalism uh, and it's providing information in ways that uh, people could never get it before. And increasingly, people are making it their mode of, of, of finding out what's going on because nobody has the attention span anymore to read a book. It's, you know, the computer and the, and the cell phone ruin that. And so they can't read anything. They got to get it from from interviews and, and, and so forth. And so whether it's audio or video, people are driving around their cars now. AM radio is practically gone. They, they're almost trying to get rid of it. They're listening to, to podcasts about this and that and everything else. But I assure you, history will, will note that the podcast revolution had a significant impact on the disclosure process. Now, to answer your question, first, uh, there is a conference coming up that, that I wanted to reiterate to your people. I, Michigan's a long ways away, I know, uh, though I think they will be uh, making available uh, the uh, most of the lectures afterwards on a website so one can go and acquire those. I don't think it won't be free, but it'll, it'll be uh, modest. Um, Contact in the Desert, uh, after a couple of years of rough time, which is true of almost all the conferences, uh, particularly when you have a conference as high end as Contact in the Desert and as expensive to put on. Uh, it is back. Some of my uh, uh, good friends are involved. Um, and its timing is rather significant. Uh, it is one of the first conferences since the major developments of last year in the legislation and, uh, and, and uh, other developments in D.C. regarding witnesses and so forth. So the energy level is going to be really off the charts. Uh, 14, 1500 people are going to be all extremely excited. There's 65 speakers, many of which you know, many are very, very close colleagues of mine, such as Richard Dolan and his wife, Tracy Garbett Dolan, as well as Danny Sheehan and, and, and others. Um, uh, and, and it is in the tradition of the contact in the desert, all kinds of special events. It's going to be an amazing three days. And if, if anybody out there can make it, uh, please come and join us. And if you are there, don't hesitate to come up to me and say hello if you got any questions. So CITD is, is a major event. There are more coming uh, in November. I will be speaking at another massive event in Las Vegas called Stairway to the Stars, which is being put on by the Disclosure Fest Foundation, which is a very substantial entity involved in a number of what we'll call uh, altruistic uh, uh, nonprofit uh, programs to help various groups but the the person behind it is much as much is into this issue as well and they're holding a conference at the luxor there could be 75 speakers or more and i believe they have locked up the entire 4,000 rooms at the luxor certainly all of the conference space i think i'm right about that i'm trying to confirm it but it's hard to put a you know a, a number on that i mean it's just huge that is an event. I mean, that's essentially roughly five times to six, seven times bigger than Conscious Life Expo. We'll see how that goes. But the subject is going to be on fire then for sure. And then in December, 
December 1, 3. The other was November 10 to 12. Uh, December 1 to 3, a very substantial conference is going to be held in Mexico City by the World Ufology Congress. Uh, Mexico City has a population of 25 million people. The interest in Mexico in a per capita basis is higher than it is in the U.S. OVNI is a big, big thing down there. Uh, and so I can't imagine how many people will be attending that event and or what is going to happen between now and then. So this just sets the stage for this year in terms of conferences. And there's other events. There's a significant event in June uh, at the National Press Club and, and so forth. So I'm just saying, folks, get ready, buckle up. We're going to have quite a ride. Uh, and then there have been developments in, in D.C., uh, which I'll quickly just mention. Uh, for instance, uh, it was just announced that uh, Aero, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, I talked last time about that. It's a very good name. I like that name. Is uh, about to hi uh, hire a assistant director for Sean, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. Uh, seems like a small thing, except that it's not. It shows that one. They're continuing to build out this this office, this interagency group. And it's also clearly they're responding to queries that have come to them, particularly in briefings on the Hill from Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Ernst and others and Rubio. Uh, Rubio and Gillibrand sent a letter uh, back. Uh, it's been about maybe a month. Uh, extraordinary letter to uh, to Arrow saying, look, we expect this, we expect that, we want you to get on board. And that letter was signed by, I think, 14 members, senators of the Intel Committee. In other words, 14 senators of the Intel Committee went on the record publicly as being attached to the UAP process, disclosure process underway. And a lot of people will think, well, isn't that what always happens? Hasn't that always been the case? No, it's unprecedented. Nothing like it. Going back to the 1940s, nothing like it. We are virtually in the last days of the truth embargo by every criteria that I apply to it. Uh, and there have been other developments. You can, you know, can query me about that. But as I've said before, all of the indications, and we can go into details, but I'll, 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 I'll do that with your questions. All of the indications are, is that there is nothing preventing hearings from being called at any time, like tomorrow, and that there's an extremely powerful reason why they need to hold these hearings soon, very soon, this summer. And we can go into that as well, which means that, and as I've said before, I know the witnesses, I know, I know some of many, some of the witnesses that will testify, that, that's significant in and of itself, who they are, but I have a pretty good idea what the other witnesses are going to be like. And I, I can make a, a fairly safe calculation that if these types of witnesses take an oath before the Senate Intel Committee and tell what they know to hundreds of millions of people on camera, the truth embargo is over. Now, by that, I mean, in very short order, the president won't be forced so much because I think the president knows that there's an ET presence, but rather will have a very comfortable basis upon which to confirm it to the public and the public will be, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So that's just another taste of where we are right now. You know, you bring up uh, talking about witnesses and hearings and things like that. Now, 
in April was that wasn't a hearing that was a briefing. Is that correct? It's basically a briefing. It's not a so, and I think I've Watergate heard... was a hearing. Okay, it wasn't right. a Watergate briefing. Those were Watergate hearings, Iran Contra hearings. All right, uh, and the impeachment hearings. Those are hearings. Uh, these are come on up and talk to us about what's going on. We're just checking in with you. And it's more like a briefing, and and it's 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 a it's a distinction with the difference. And that was like the first with, was it Moultrie and Bray? I believe That's right. that was the first one almost two years ago. Yeah. And then, okay. So they, those were briefings. So not necessarily under oath, like when you're at a hearing giving testimony. I don't believe that uh, Moultrie Bray or Kirkpatrick took oath when they came up to chat with uh, okay. first the uh, subcommittee of the arm uh, in the, the house. Uh, by, I th- uh, chaired I think by some Andre people... Carson or subcommittee of the Armed Services Committee in the Senate chaired by Gillibrand. Okay, I think some people f- like thought that these were supposed to be actual hearings when when I hear people talk about what they mm-hmm. thought of these the the first two here done by um Arrow and and Moultrie and Bray. Um but everybody th- those were not hearings. Those are briefings. Those are like Hey, this is what we're doing. We're trying to get some, you know, this stuff put into place. We need a reporting structure, yada, yada, yada. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, let's let's not think about those as hearings, just giving us information. So to that extent, when you were talking about knowing people um, or some of the people that are going to be actually testifying, one of our listeners emailed us and he had a great question. He said that he had seen something on Twitter that dealt with Danny Sheehan and a possible Washington Post article about whistleblowers coming forward. But, you know, he had mentioned a couple names. He probably shouldn't have yada, yada. But is there a possible, is there some type of a Washington Post article that's in the works about a couple of these whistleblowers coming out? I would know for sure, but I can assure you that the Washington Post Call me, by the way, Washington Post. Give me a call. I could be very call helpful. Call him. Um, the Washington Post uh, is absolutely following this. And when it feels it needs to, it will jump in with articles about any aspect of it they want, and certainly the witnesses. Uh, there are a lot of rumors flying around. I understand that. Uh, that's to be expected. The uh, developments will unfold. Uh, as 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 they will, I try not to get too ahead of my skis, uh, but the uh, the rumors include witnesses regarding crash retrievals. Now, I happen to think that based upon where I saw this info and and so forth, I think that's probably true. But I, I, I I'm going to go maybe seventy percent on that. Let me be clear. The only witnesses that would be comparable to the nuclear weapons tampering witnesses, such as Salas and Shadeli and others, and they're, they, those have already been interviewed. Oh, one, one moment, please forgive me. I've got to get my battery cord on. Sorry. Hang on. Not a problem. So, Dorothy, uh, I've got your question up here, and we will uh, definitely get um, Stephen to kind of break down about his um research group, the paradigm research group for sure. So 
go get your rest and come back and listen later. But I think this is a very good question. Ooh, so Michelle, this is, I think things are going to just blow up here, man. I, I don't, I don't know. I see hellfires here. So there we go. Oh, Samantha Morris, the cat mm -hmm. has shown up. So Rick Davis is here. Okay. All right. Hi. Okay. Sorry. He's made it. <laughs> Not a problem. I keep making that mistake. I, I have multiple platforms in my apartment for, for working from, and I keep forgetting to bring the power cord with me. Yeah, not a problem. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Okay. The the only witnesses who would be comparable, in my view, to the nuclear weapons tampering would be crash retrieval witnesses. I mean, this is this is pretty significant. Uh, and, and obviously, we're not talking about people that have been tasked with going out and, and retrieving records from F-16s and 18s and and uh, other planes that have crashed, obviously. Everybody knows that happens, and that's simply not significant. These would be people testifying to craft that are not ours. So if that is true, uh, it, it just shows that uh, it's one more reason to believe that the hearings will, will lead to disclosure very, very quickly, and it will be a significant decision on their part. But th if I'm them, look, the nuclear weapons testimony is so intense and profound, and it's accompanied by documentation and an enormous amount of research by Robert Hastings, who I hope is healthy enough to, to testify if they want him to, though it could be done remotely. Uh, it is so intense that if you're going to bring those witnesses on, you might as well go all in. There's just no reason to go, okay, well, here is an incredible thing. Right. And now let's have some, you know, some more tempered or temperate testimony. No, go all in. Follow that up with with the, the crash retrieval witnesses. In other words, put witnesses on there that will leave no doubt in anybody's mind on the Congress, uh, people that are not involved in the uh, UAP issue within the entire military intelligence community, which is tens and tens of hundreds of thousands of people. And believe it or not, they're not all up to speed on the UAP issue, though they may note and be paying attention at times. It will leave no doubt in their mind and no doubt in the mind of the journalists. Go all in. And that way, the president is going to be entirely comfortable and able to come forward and end this truth embargo and get nothing but applause and plaudits and what have you. This is what you want to do. You do not want to go halfway on this. Don't hang out those nuclear weapons testimonies and go, okay, well, that was interesting. Now let's go talk to some witnesses that saw something uh, from an airplane once. Not that, the, not that the pilot witnesses aren't important. They're important too. So I, be, I will be watching for any further information, scuttlebutt and or formal, mentioning crash retrieval witnesses because we know they exist but are they slated to be interviewed or have they been interviewed for ahead of any hearings what i think is very interesting about the crash retrieval aspect of it means that there are um materials involved and that means sure. getting them to places like wright patterson and stuff and we've heard from people that you know, know that there are materials that are there that they are working on trying to figure out um, all of that kind of stuff. And it would be, I mean, I've heard you talk about 
this being like a national security issue and I tend to agree, but is the, is the embargo more of a danger to the nation keeping this stuff hidden and the dark secrets and the running around and threatening people and all of that stuff. Isn't that more of a national threat than, I mean, I've never seen these things attack anybody. I mean, I was injured, I believe. And I'll talk to you more about this. I believe that the sighting that Michelle and I had in 2018, it caused some physical harm to me. And I, like Mm -hmm. I said, I'll explain that to you later, but you know, what are your thoughts on that? And then I want to get to Dorothy's questions um, when you um, finish that. But she just asked, uh, is the new Paradigm Research Group a consortium of different groups or individuals? It's difficult to keep track of all the organizations related on this topic. So, yeah. My organization is Paradigm Research Group. Okay. Right? That's its name. And very soon I'm going to convert it to a nonprofit because it's not and hasn't been. For all these 26 years, I I suppose I could debate the rest of my life whether that was a mistake or not. Don't know, but it's been an interesting 26 years. I made a decision to be a, a sole proprietorship for a number of reasons, uh, but now I'm going to make it a nonprofit because I want to turn it into a think tank, a boutique think tank based in the National Press Building and get back to some real hardcore on the street activism, or I say on the Hill activism, which certainly is possible now. In fact, I've got colleagues all over the Hill. I'm in in LA, but there's a reason why I'm in LA, but I'm gonna get back. So, and then I'm gonna put it on Patreon and we're gonna start raising money, uh, uh, tax deductible funds for PRG to operate as a nonprofit. That's gonna happen. Danny Sheehan is working to develop a a, a 501c3 uh, subsidiary I guess you could call it, of his major subsidiary, uh, his main 5013C, which is the Romero Institute. It's called the New Paradigm Institute, and that's coming together. Uh, and you can see that's going to develop. It, it needs, uh, it's much going to be much larger uh, and is going to uh, be raising a lot more money. So one or two million dollars is, is, is probably a minimum they, they probably should get, certainly a couple of hundred thousand to start. So anybody that is interested in, in backing Danny Sheehan's uh, project. He is one of the leading lights in the world on this subject, and his career is beyond measure. Uh, get in touch, and I'll I'll get you in touch with Dan. Again, this this would be a nonprofit uh, and tax deductible money. There will be other think tanks that are going to form fast and furious after disclosure. They're going to be registering every couple of days because think tanks are about informing government and people and agencies about matters associated with something important. Yep. And the number of matters that would be considered important in a post-disclosure world stemming from the UAP reality and ET presence is a list beyond measure. And so, yeah, but I'm going to try to get out there ahead of them, as is Danny. So that's kind of coming. All right. Um, there's so much uh, that we might expect if we can get this done before history snaps back on us again. Uh, history is always happening. It's a dangerous world, complicated, and all the time, the uh, enormous efforts on the part of people to improve their their country, improve the lot of humanity, suddenly get shoved aside because of something historical that takes place. 
often it's a war, big war. Sometimes it's revolutions. Sometimes it's, um, uh, it could be like a, you know, like a pandemic. Pandemic uh, at this level is pretty big deal. Uh, these kinds of things happen. And so when you have a chance to get something done and move the human race forward in a profound way, you don't dawdle. You don't go, well, you know, I got, I got, a, I got a tight schedule. You know, my kids are graduating in June. Let's just kind of put it off. And then some idiot in the nuclear uh, arena over in, uh, or some idiot in the Ukraine war will launch a cruise missile into one of the Ukrainian nuclear plants, or somebody will get desperate and, and launch a tactical nuke. And all of a sudden, all these other things get put on the back steps, right? And we may not get back to them to God knows when. So it's time to act. It's time to execute this paradigm shift. So, okay, I want to play for you. You're talking. You were talking about history, and I'm like, man, this is going to be a perfect segue into what I think is one of the ultimate whistleblowers. That this book right here, "Swamp Gas My Ass," written by Ray Samansky, um, nice who guy. chronicles and interviews people from the 1966 UFO flap that was going on here that even Gerald Ford was involved in and Congressman Vivian and uh, just a project blue book showed up and the rest is history and people can dig into that. And I highly recommend Ray's book, but what I want to play for you now is um, and what this reminds me of, I, I got to say this, this reminds me of the Fravor and Dietrich type of situation without the 60 minutes in, in uh, the big mainstream yeah. media sure. behind them. So let me go ahead and do, 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 find my tab right here. Here we go. So this is Colonel Gary Carroll um, before he passed away, giving his testimony. Um, and I, I just want you to check this out. I am a retired Air Force Colonel. And from January of 1965 until January of 1967, I was a pilot assigned to the 71st Fighter Interceptor Squadron at Selfridge Air Force Base in Michigan. Our interceptors were the F-106A Delta and the F-106B Delta Darts. Um, on March of 1966, I was on five-minute alert duty with another captain in the squadron. Robert Nicholson. Around 3 p.m. on the day in question, we were scrambled to intercept unidentified flying objects or objects that had been detected and observed and reported to Air Force authorities. With myself as flight leader and Bob Nicholson as my wingman, we were vectored around southeastern Michigan by the Battle Creek Control Center and in Battle Creek, Michigan to locate the unidentified target and targets. During the course of our approximately 90-minute intercept mission, we had both visual and radar contact of the, of the UFO on at least three different occasions. Our longest visual contact was nearly 60 seconds. Radar contact was tenuous, with radar lock-ons lasting only seconds per incident. Our infrared detection system, the F-106's other search and track system, did not return any data at all. 
During our longest and final visual contact, Bob and I pursued a singular object at speeds up to 1.3 Mach number. The pursuit ended, for all practical purposes, when the object made a seemingly impossible right angle turn, moving off in our left at incredible speed. Over the course of the past year, I have shared all of the details of this encounter and many other military significant events in my 30-year career with Ray Shemansky. Ray videotaped these interviews and is preserving them for posterity. I have authorized Ray to organize, select, and publish this information in an upcoming book. I thank you for your kind attention. All right. Sounds very familiar. Right angled turns, high speeds, cannot lock them on radar. Uh, nothing on the infrared. Um, what do you make of this? Of course, there's been many accounts like that. And uh, God knows how many thousands and thousands of such uh, incidents took place that were obviously not reported because the pilots were simply told, don't do that. Uh, the, 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 the few that have come forward, though, are useful. But let me make a couple of points here, one of which is uh, I make all the time, and I don't mean to be difficult, but I happen to consider it very important. I really ask everyone in the field, well, everyone in the field, everyone of the researchers, people that are tweeting about it, engaging it, whatever, please refrain from using the term whistleblower. They are not whistleblowers. He isn't a whistleblower. None of the witnesses. Bob Salas is not a whistleblower. This is very important. Edward Snowden was a whistleblower. Chelsea Manning was a whistleblower. Uh, and there have been others that have come forward, oftentimes in the corporate world, where they're reporting massive fraud because they cannot get any response within the company, and they might even go to the press and they are whistleblowers. And whistleblowers have a really hard time. Certainly before there were national legislation regarding whistleblowers. And even after that legislation was passed. Whistleblower is not a road you want to take. It is a tough road. And so when somebody calls you a whistleblower, they're basically saying, oh, you're on that road. And they put you in the basket with a whole lot of other people. And many of the whistleblowers that come forward, they may be righteous and they may have a legitimate uh, point, but there's probably a lot of, there are a lot of people out there that don't agree with that point, consider them traitors and on and on and on. They get threats, they get harassed. They're not whistleblowers, please. All right. They're witnesses. He was a witness. Dietrich's a witness. Fravor's a witness. Salas is a witness and on and on and on. All right. Corso is a witness. So that's the first point. Second point, just casually, that is a great title to the book. Swamp gas my ass. That's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> uh, that sold a lot of copies. I just, as, as someone who's a good friend of Paul Heineck and works closely with him, mm -hmm. I'd like to mention and remind that Dr. Heineck gave a press conference in which he did not assert that's what it was. He mentioned a couple of the kinds of possibilities that might account for it. This particular 
And, and that's not unusual. You hear that all the time. It could be flares. It could be SpaceX, whatever. The swamp gas just got people's attention. It was a mistake. He regretted it. And so it, 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 uh, it really fired people up. Now, on the upside, it helped lead to the hearings that uh, Gerald Ford supported in 66. But it was, um, uh, in terms of Dr. Hynek, a little embarrassing. So I'd just like to clarify that, all right? Um, so it's another reminder that the truth embargo has been going on for a long time. 66, 56, 46. It was already 20 years on when the Michigan sightings took place. And Gerald Ford, one of the truly honest and righteous men to ever set foot in the White House, uh, when he was a congressperson, he helped to get a hearing. And I'm sure he had every intent and the military intelligence complex had every intention to see to it that it did not go anywhere. And it didn't. But the sightings kept going on, resulting in a 68 hearing, which was also conducted in a way to just sort of end the discussion for now. We did something, go away, leave us alone. And then the next year in 69, they were shooting, shutting everything down. The truth embargo at that point was 33 years on, right? or 32 years on. It's now... 76 years on. And so it is, its shelf life expired a long time ago. It's starting to stink up the dairy case. <laughs> all right. And, and, and again, I encourage people uh, and the Hill and the journalists and uh, so forth to stick with us. Don't give up. See it through. Don't let anybody talk you out of trying to back out of this and play it absolutely straight. If you're a member of Congress, or you're a well, journalist, but more so a member of Congress, if you are uh, working in Aero, if you are attached to the Interagency Committee from some other part of the government, could be the CIA, please do not make the mistake of playing this mendaciously, meaning let's screw with it, let's shade it, let's do this, let's do that, in terms of the fundamental process. Now, when I, what I mean is in terms of, well, when we, how can I get this? I'm going to put this, it's complicated. You play it as straight as you possibly can. Now, in the, in the, in the current situation, everyone involved, in, including some degree journalists, are limited in what they can do. There, there's there are some boundaries that they're dealing with. Uh, as I've said a thousand times, because this isn't about finally figuring out what the ET phenomenon is. They already know what the ET phenomenon is. A lot of journalists that are covering know what the ET phenomenon is. But in order to get to disclosure, there, we have to go through this process of setting up IRO, having legislation, bringing the public in, and ultimately having hearings. And in order for that to go forward, we have to kind of stay, we have to stay between the lines. Uh, and people can't say what they really think because uh, the only person that really can say there's a, an extraterrestrial presence and have it have big clout is the president and meaningful outcomes, the president, all right? Everybody else is an opinion. And if you're involved in, in the program in any way, you definitely shouldn't be saying. And so there's, there's just all these limitations. And, and because the process is stretched out over a substantial amount of time, and, and because they do want to engage the public and they're going on podcasts and they're giving interviews and so forth, 
people that know the issue are, are going, wait a minute, you, you, do you really mean that? Don't you know better than that? And it's a little frustrating. And so in that case, there, in that, in that case, with respect to the fundamental disclosure process itself, it's impossible not to have some mendacity, but it's to a higher purpose. It's to get to end the truth embargo. Uh, or to put it a very crude way, they're forced to lie to get out from a much out from under a much bigger lie, uh, hopefully in a, in a short amount of time. But then once we get there, once we get confirmation, the mendacity has got to stop. The only thing the American public want to hear is this is the absolute truth or we cannot go into that because it is still classified right that's it anything else and it's going to come down upon their head because the nature of the world today is such that millions and millions of people have the ability and the x and the ability and the access to information to take almost anything that comes out of the u.s government and and literally grill it down to the molecular level and point out this is bs quickly like in a couple of days and so if if they don't go that if they don't go the direction of truth or it's classified then they're just going to continue to ins embarrass themselves insult the intelligence of the american people and and make it harder on the government and do more damage and so at some point all the lies end now again that doesn't mean that there isn't still national security aspects it doesn't mean that some things are going to remain classified it just means that if you can't talk about it, it's classified, which means in 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 general, if you want to generalize this, um, and this is a little bit utopian, but not too utopian, I would suggest in the post-disclosure world, when perhaps CNN will call me, you know, I uh, I would suggest, look, now that we've got to this point. Let's put an end to all unacknowledged special access programs. And if you can have special access programs classified that you need special access to, but no more unacknowledged special access, meaning you it's classified, you have to have special access to know anything about it, and in no way can you even acknowledge it exists. In other words, it's completely and totally hidden. It doesn't exist. Could be costing billions of dollars a year. Doesn't matter. Unacknowledged, unacknowledged special access programs are just way too Orwellian for my taste, and I believe in the interest of the country. They have become easy to do. They are so safe. They make everybody's job easier because what you don't know can't hurt you, or ignorance is bliss, or whatever the hell their their argument is. And a, a nation built on unacknowledged special access programs is not much different than a nation that was built on the Bolshevik revolution during the time of Stalin. So we just don't want to, we want to get out of that business. I'm was sorry, the... I cannot discuss it. It's classified or yes, here's the truth of the matter. That's where we need to be post-disclosure. Yeah. And that was one of, uh, was it Kennedy who was talking about the military industrial complex? That was one of his, his big things. Yeah, which is one of the great speeches of all of any president. You can easily find it on the net. I have used it in some of my presentations. You've got Eisenhower's speech as he is leaving office. You've got Kennedy's speech. You've got Roosevelt's speech. Uh, but I, Kennedy's speech is, is 
in many ways more important than either of the other two. It is so complex and, and, and so uh, implicative that, boy, I, if I was teaching history in, in school, I, I would absolutely go over that in minute detail with my class and discuss it for weeks. And probably, you know, depending on what state I'm in, probably have to resign my job <laughs> as a teacher. But let's just say that 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 is. And thank you for reminding me about that. I need to bring that up uh, more in my presentations. It's one of Kennedy's great moments. Yeah, he, he was a man capable of taking us to places we needed to go. And any person like that is going to be a threat to a lot of vested interests. They just want you to keep doing the same thing that keeps them both wealthy and powerful. He was not that kind of person. And so, as is often the case, he did not uh, have a lot of time in office. Well, you know, you were talking about excuses as to why these, I, I don't know, would you call them the shadow government, this, this military industrial complex, these people that are working within the government, but they're not necessarily government officials. But one of the, the biggest excuses I've heard about them not just coming forward with this stuff is because, well, why would we want to give information to a temporary employee, meaning senators and congressmen and and, and, you know, the president of the United States that are going to possibly turn over and, you know, so they're running things behind the scenes and getting funding without people knowing what they're actually funding. Well, you talk about black programs and yes. so forth. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Uh, as far as, and the attitude is, there is no question that the military intelligence complex, there's a lot of members of that that are very wary about uh, short-term uh, members of the political class. Uh, Congress uh, members are elected to two years. Senate, six. President, four. So the fact is, they are transitory. And the people that work in military intelligence complex, that's often their career. So they're looking at a 20, 25, 30-year stint defending us. And there's all this stuff, all this information and all this private special stuff. And they, they definitely, in many cases, have the attitude is there, there is national security concerns and, and people that are so temporary knowing things that uh, are extraordinary and, uh, and classified. And well, you, you know, <laughs> my answer to that is simple. Uh, I get it. Uh, there are other countries immigrate. Okay. There, there are some other countries where that that's absolutely the way it goes. Either, either if it's a civilian leader, you don't tell them anything until you overthrow them and replace them with a military leader. And then you can tell the military person a lot of stuff. Immigrate. Don't, don't stay here. You're in the wrong country with that attitude. But in, in fact, that is a, a working attitude in the case. And is one of the reasons why, uh, we have had a substantial amount of abuse of power and secrecy by our military intelligence complex, even in the sense that people were doing it with good intention in many cases. Not always, but they really legitimately felt it was in the best of our interests that politicians. Now, it doesn't help that our political class has been deteriorating for a long time. 
you know, nations and they do this. Empire, same thing. Leadership goes up, goes down, it's up, it's down, it's up and down. Except in the case of kingdoms and empires, it tends to go up based upon which idiot child ends up on the throne. And, and we didn't want that. And that's something. It's improvement. But yeah, we have some pretty awful people who end up in in in, in our in our, in public in federal office. Uh, and that is is more it's not that there aren't really good people around. It's just that the, the political process of, of obtaining office now is now broken in the United States and has been for a very long time. It is a major problem. It's not it's not a specific issue that I that I go at, go out after because I, I you know I want to stay in my strike zone. And I want to be focused. But let me just put it this way. Imagine a nation or imagine the United States. After a period of decline, doing this turns out after a lot of adjustments and decline and deterioration of morals and or you know agendas and everything else, it turns out that as circa 2031, in order to go to college, you have to take a SAT test. In fact, that used to be pretty much the case, though it's loosened up. But let's just say, but it's like it was in the old days. If you want to go to college, you got to take a, a, a scholastic aptitude test, all right? Or you can't go to college. But in order to take that test, it costs $200,000. So unless you have $200,000, you can't take the test, and therefore you can't go to college. But for those that pay the $200,000, and take the test, the colleges will accept only those in the bottom 20 percentile. In other words, the worst scores. And then you can get to go to college. Can you imagine what that would do to the intellectual capacity of our leaders or, or you know, business and anything else? It costs a fortune to take a test that you have to fail in order to go to college. That's exactly how we are running our electoral process now. So it's not education, it's political leadership. And I assure you, if we don't fix that, it's a bad, bad, bad thing. Bad things are already happening, but a lot worse can happen. I'm focused on one thing, disclosure. I think if we have disclosure, it's possible that a worldview change will take place. Minds will open, doors will open. And something like fixing this god-awful, pathetic, disastrous political electoral process will happen. And suddenly, you'll have people who, uh, everyone can take the test. No one is excluded. It doesn't cost millions upon millions of dollars to play. And the people that actually get elected are pretty sharp. That would be a nice thing to see happen. Yeah. Well, I, just to your point, and I don't want to, I don't want to harp on this too much, but hides in long grass as politician definition, narcissistic psychopath backed by and controlled by million billionaires. Yeah. Well, controlled in a sense and to get to back to my metaphor. Yeah. In order to run for some Senate seats, it costs $20 million. Right. Okay, it costs twenty million dollars to run, and so really competent people, in many cases, they they can't they can't they can't raise that money, uh, and even if they in, in, in to attempt to raise that money, 
means that almost certainly they're going to have to buy and sell their soul. Which means that once they get in office, they're hamstrung. You see the metaphor. You see that how it how it's analogous. And so they can't be competent. And so who wants to do that? Who wants to go through that? The election coming up is going to cost between four and six billion dollars to get by 435 new members of Congress, 30 new senators, uh, and uh, uh, X number of governors, and a president. You, you could do the same thing in the UK for two cents on the dollar, yeah. which is one of the reasons why their government, while it's not perfect, uh, is a lot less uh, what I would call dysfunctional than ours. Yeah. Uh, and that's true of almost every parliamentary system. Uh, the parliamentary system, our system per se, is not awful and it has some advantages over the parliamentary system. But the nature of our system is that it is much more vulnerable to the corruption and the, uh, the, the, the issues that I have just mentioned. Parliamentary system, no, it is not uh, uh, open to that so much. And so we have taken the fundamental weaknesses of our, quote, two-party system and the funding rules that we've created, and we have taken it to the absolute level of mass maximum dysfunction. In other words, in other words, hey, if you're going to get a cold, why not get the death, deathly flu, right? Why not quite why go halfway, right? Just go all the way. If you're going to be dysfunctional, be so dysfunctional that the historians will be talking about it for hundreds of years. Oh my God, books will be written. Can you believe what happened back in 1969, 75, 2010, <laughs> 2020? What were these people, crazy? That's what they'll be writing. Because we are crazy. The system is insane. And it's one of the reasons why things aren't going very well. Everybody's unhappy on heavy drugs. Suicide rates are up. Crime is up. Everything is up. Everything bad is up in a sense. And we live constantly under the fear that it's all going to go away. And so we lie awake at night watching endless reruns of The Walking Dead, <laughs> thinking, I wonder how I will handle the apocalypse. Well, well said, man. I, I don't disagree at all. The only thing that that I have faith in is that when it comes to these politicians and these boy kings and everything else, that at least for them, I want to hope that the process will still play out and take they'll take care of their own. The people I'm concerned about are these 25, 30-year and military intelligence people who are getting lots of money, defense contractors working on things that we can use to make the planet better, and not just from a war standpoint or from one of those, you know, free energy. I mean, let come on. These things are flying around doing ridiculous things, just ignoring inertia and gravity like nothing and we can't come up with a better engine i mean for god's sakes so i guess that's that's my concern is that if these people are working on this type of stuff from a war application or a military application i want a process in place to keep them in check because they're doing yeah. whatever they want post-disclosure that's the major reform that has to be done 
what what have they learned from this technology? Uh, why are they keeping it from us? Exactly. Uh, one reason would be any technology associated with an ET craft technically is weaponizable. So whatever non-weapon uh, uh, use one might get from it, they can't let it out because somebody will weaponize it, which is probably true. All right. So what? I mean, you can weaponize anything. Uh, and as far as the, the, the civilian group, look, the, the, the civilian contractors are not, if, if whatever they're sitting on, they're not, they're not telling us about it or allowing it out because the government won't let them. It's not their decision. It's the government's decision, right? Whether Lockheed reveals uh, anything it's been doing with Kraft. Uh, in other words, go beyond what Ben Rich said back in the day. Uh, no, the government prevents that. It's not them. That doesn't mean they don't agree with the government on that, but it's not their call. The government can release them of that. Uh, but and, and who has the right to the tank? Anything else? Who knows? The point is, it doesn't really matter who has the rights. What matters is what can we get into play post-disclosure that has been sequestered that could dramatically affect our ability to deal with our immediate problems. And that's going to be on the table almost immediately. And that will be part of endless hearings that are go on the first 12 months. Pick pick a number, 20, 80, 75, 1,000, not 1,000, but hundreds, very possible. There's going to be hearings on everything. Everything is going to be in play at once. And everybody's going to want to have answers at once. And the, the Congress is going to do it. Why? Because hearings uh, in front of big audiences on big subjects is how members of Congress become stars. It's how they get reelected. It's how they really feel like they're serving. So for them, it's win, 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 I assure you. Particularly if the issue is nonpartisan. Holding endless hearings on the same political hack subject, which I'm afraid is one of the conditions that we have in our Congress right now. Hearings that shouldn't have been started in the first place, but go on forever, accomplishing nothing because they're nothing but political hyper-partisan nonsense. No, they don't want that. But hearings that are not hyper-partisan, that are about something important, that's a win for everybody. And they don't have enough of those. They need them, right? We've had, The pub, American public has had its belly full of hyper-partisan hearings, I can assure you. They would love to see some hearings on matters of great importance to them, legitimate information that they could use to make their lives better or improve their country. And if I'm a member of Congress, I kill to have that opportunity to, to hold such a hearing. So once disclosure happens, the hearings it's going to be raining hearings for, for some time. Yeah. Well, speaking of hearings and witnesses and testimony, um, a friend of ours, uh, Chris Lato, he uh, went and saw one of your interviews on that ufo podcast i believe and he kind of spoke to it in things he's a retired f-16 pilot who now lives in portugal and he, he's a great guy we've had him on here and he's talked about our story and things um with his his very very large crowd since he started the the UAP society and they are doing their own research and things like mm -hmm. that, getting people on board, which is amazing. I'm so happy for how he's doing that. Um, but one of the things that he talked about was your April 14th uh, newsletter that you put out. And I jumped on that when I saw that come through, it had the third, which is the, um, let me see if I can remember this defense intelligence reference document that was put together by Dr. Chris or Christopher or everybody calls him Kit Green. Mellow. 
No. Yeah, he's a professor right up the road here at Wayne State oh. University. And it was on the anomalous acute and subacute field effects on human biological tissues. Now, very much like what Professor Nolan was involved in, I know that Kit Green is a former uh, ex-CIA intelligence officer. He's an expert in matters of the brain. He teaches, you know, here at Wayne State, very prestigious, lots of things behind him. But I'm interested in both his work and Nolan's work from the standpoint of people that come in contact or close vicinity to these craft, because when Michelle and I had our um, encounter in 2018, about a month and a half, two months later, I started getting really sick. And then when school Mm -hmm. started, that was in March. And then when school started that August, I could not even... I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat out all the hair on my face turned white. I mean, it was, my hair was falling. It was all, it was a, it was a mess and nobody knew what was going on after lots of testing and everything come to find out. I'm one of the few males (laughs) that have Graves disease. It just kind of popped up all of a sudden. So my, my Mm. thyroid was turned on a thousand percent. It was just running my body ragged and uh, it was horrible. And I started thinking about my symptoms and looking at these people who were looking at Havana, the Havana syndrome. And then the connection of, well, these people were actually in close proximity to these craft emitting these electromagnetic fields or whatever. And I started putting it all together and I'm wondering what are your thoughts on those medical conditions and things like that in the people that are going to go and be witnesses are either one of them, Nolan or Kit Green going to be there speaking about this stuff. I think eventually everybody that's, has a significant connection to this issue, we'll end up giving hearings, but not initially. By the way, Kit Green was a member of the aviary a long, long time ago. There are a whole lot of people that I'm aware of that could come forward on this issue at any time. Uh, they, 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 they stay in the background. They, they, they have a, a presence on the net or they had a presence of the early bulletin boards, emails. They have their own email groups and things like that. Uh, believe me, the number of the number of very smart people with the degrees and histories that know a lot about this issue is way bigger than most people can imagine. It's just a question of when they're going to come forward uh, and they'll do it when they feel appropriate. It's, their, it's absolutely their decision. Nobody else's. So up until recently, if you had a health effect from dealing with a uh, a uh, UAP in any form or fashion, you're out of luck because there are no UAPs. There are no saucers. There are no ETs, as the government has pretty much told us so many times. So you were out of luck. John Burroughs was out of luck. He had some serious effects from his encounter in Rangel Farms, and he couldn't get he couldn't get proper treatment. It was only after he testified at the citizen hearing on disclosure uh, and one of the members on the panel that I pulled in uh, made some calls and ended up getting the attention, I think, even of, of John McCain. And ultimately, he got his records 
and was able to get proper treatment. No, years and years and years later. So consequently, well, all of a sudden, in the legislation that was being put forward by the Congress, the issue of health effects is brought up. A lot of people would not realize how significant that was. It's one of dozens and dozens of indicators that this is real. This is it, right? I understand. It's taken a long time. There's been a lot of stops and starts. You're frustrated. You're impatient. I get it. I've been trying to project the possibilities for disclosure for years. And overall, I was going to err on the on the side of this looks promising. But there were many times I said, yeah, we haven't got a snowball's chance right now. Right? But that's, that's activism. That's why you do that. So when they mentioned that, very, very, very significant. Uh, so we'll... We'll see how that goes. Um, uh, another thing I wanted to mention. Oh, well, and, 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 and before people get overworked about that, look, there's a Caribbean island where the airport way down, I forget the island it is, I should know, but it's like literally, it's like right up against the beach. And so when the planes land, they virtually, you can almost hit the tires with your fingers, right? As it lands, because it's right up against the beach. And they oh, also that's take St. Martin. Martin, yes. Mm -hmm. And so they take off from the back of that runway because it's a very short runway. And people love to get behind a fence and 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 when the thing takes off. Yeah, they get blown into the ocean. <laughs> and they get hilarious. And some people have been hurt. I saw I literally saw a video of one person blown into a brick wall with their head. So yeah, you get close to a to a, a 737 jet right behind it, there's going to be health effects. Does that mean the 737 jet is a, a massive threat to humanity or evil or anything else? No, no. It's just that uh, this is advanced technology and if people get close, they can have effects. Is it intentional on the part of the, uh, the ETs? I can't say, I can't say, but they, you know, again, there would be less problems if, say, back in the 50s, the United States government had said, look, we've got non-human technology in our skies. Occasionally it lands and it's probably from advanced civilization and it's dangerous. So please, if you see one, don't get close to it. Right. If it's definitely on the ground, don't get close to it. If it's in the air, try to you know, get get away. Don't rush toward it in the interest of your safety and in the interest of the government protecting your health. That's not what they did. They said there are none of these things. They don't exist. So if you're sick, it's something else, right? You're getting it from, I don't know. Again, you see lying, it, it's a web of lies. The government is in a web of lies on this issue now. It's, it's as big as a web can get. And they're trying to get out from under and out of that web. And I, and I appreciate that, what, what they're having to go through. But again, these health effects are to be expected. Uh, and there's another indication that they are they are lowering the bar. But exactly, that doesn't mean that any particular incident could be ascribed to uh, an ET craft as opposed to something else. But it does show a uh, the fact that they're getting more open and more willing to go places that they wouldn't go before. Now, here's a place where they're not yet ready to go. And I will be stunned if they do before hearings take place, but it could happen. And that is some kind of statement come out of the arrow or a piece of legislation that gets put in the Senate bill for 2024 regarding contact. 
of that would be astounding. Uh, I can't imagine it happening uh, because it, it would really be intense and might make it harder to get where we need to go. But if it were to happen, I assure you, it would light a torch under this issue in a big way. But that's that's another example of something they cannot they cannot go there. But they have chosen to go to health effects from being close to the crash. And I think both Cash and Landrum are dead now. It's too bad because it would have been nice if one or both of them had lived long enough to to see that happen. Yeah. Well, Stephen, we've been at this for about an hour and 16 minutes. How much more time do you have? Because I'm thinking about doing a break and then coming back with some more questions. Are sure. you good with that? This is my job. It's not like I have a side job here. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. No, so, and when when we come back from commercial break, I have um, well, we have a, a guest in chat who I, I he has wanted somebody to look at his avatar pick oh, because yeah. it is a message that was um, we can talk more about it once we come back. But Rick Davis wanted you to take a look at this. This is from 1975 when he was stationed in Georgia. Okay. And this is the, um, the, the trajectory of the craft. He said that it was moving so fast to the East that his even when it stopped for a moment, that his eyes were still moving. But yeah, that, that's impressive. Sure. Yeah. That's pretty that good. It had that it ended up making that design. So it says, when I looked up, I saw it at the horizon moving east so fast that when it stopped, my eyes kept moving. I had to look back where it stopped, and it made that design. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, so, again, how many people have seen extraordinary things in the sky in the last 75 years? I would say tens and tens of millions tens of millions x number yeah. have been reported y number have been re researched but the number of actual sightings because the vast majority of people are not going to do anything they're just going to say wow and go back to their life so the ets have been very busy very present uh only an enormous effort on the part of all governments particularly the us to embargo it has prevented this thing from being full-blown 50 60 years ago Stephen, he wondered if you were able to read it. He says it, I'm seeing the avatar in the lower corner, right? Yeah, yeah. He said that it's some sort of message. Well, again, uh, I can't go. I, I can't. Ants can't speak to that. But, yeah. Uh, have, you know, it, 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 taking terp interesting interpretations. But again, I, I can't speak to it. Well, uh, you know, you, you mentioned and before we go on break, I, I'll leave you with this one. And, and then when we come back, I'll get your thoughts on this. And I think people will like this. Do you? Let's take some questions, please. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but do you think that you said tens, let's say tens of millions of people have seen stuff. And with the lack of response or the, the, the negative response from governments, not just ours, but around the world, about these things, do you think that would make people just be like, look, I'm not saying nothing because I don't want to be pointed out. I don't want to be attacked. I don't want men in black showing up. I don't want to lose yeah, my sure. job. You know, so do you think there's not more people coming forward because of that aspect of it? The vast majority of people that don't come forward simply don't want to be bothered. 
He saw light in the sky. Pretty amazing. Did something extraordinary. Even if you saw a fairly physical craft, you know they've been reported before. You've seen what happens. Nothing really comes from it. You just don't need you, people have lives to lead. The vast majority are not reported because they simply don't want to deal with it. They make a note. It's interesting. That's it. And then there's a certain number that won't come forward because they are do they want to, but they they sense that there might be repercussions. Okay. Okay. We're going to break there. I have a question. Okay. (laughs) All right. We're going to break there for a minute because I have a question when we come back based off of an article that I ran into again this morning. So, all right. Plus, we're going to take care. We're going to take about a five minute break or so because we got to play our uh, contact in the desert commercial. And I think you're even mentioned in that one. So, all right, Stephen, I'm going to send you to the back. All right, Michelle, I think it is time for that break because, well, you know, we need a break. Everybody hang loose. Steven's going to want to take some questions. Uh, Get your questions ready. We will try to get to them. And, Guy, I saw your question about abductions and definitely want to ask him about that. And I know Michelle's chomping at the bit, so I got to give her that first. Chomping at the bit for this first one, man. All right, so everybody, we will see you in about four and a half minutes or thereabout. All right, talk to you soon. Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well, then you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 here on River Drive. With daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family, you will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit! The ninth Annual Contact in the Desert Conference happens the weekend of June 2nd at the beautiful Renaissance Resort near Palm Springs, California. Join me, George Norrie, to discover what's next from speakers such as Graham Hancock, Richard Dolan, Nick Pope, Stephen Bassett, and over 50 other top researchers. Come make contact with new friends and discover the latest fascinating information from the fields of UFO studies, artificial intelligence, psychic phenomenon, and more. Reserve your seat now at contactinthedesert.com. All right, all right. I don't know if you guys heard that. I had to play it twice. Stephen Bassett, okay, contact in the desert. He's going to be there, and he's going to blow some, as we like to say in Detroit, some wigs off of people. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just the information is just going to blow your wig off. <clears throat> Mine okay. was off a long time ago. I've got so. no wig. <laughs> so how is everybody doing out there? What are you thinking about our guest right now, Stephen Bassett? I mean, absolutely amazing. So chat room is just going nuts right now. 
So hopefully you guys took some time. I played an extra commercial for you so you could think of some questions. And I know Michelle's got one here. So we're going to go ahead and bring Mr. Bassett back on. All right. Hey, welcome back, Steve. Hey. hey. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. What's up? Question. Oh, oh, yes. We're we're talking about content and, you know, how people are so skeptical to, you know, put their stories out there. Have you heard of Enigma Labs? Yeah, uh, it's one of a number of new entities that are forming. You mentioned Latoga. I mean, uh, right now you're seeing the pre-disclosure end of the truth embargo ramp up where now people are, there's really no barrier. Set up this, set up this lobbying group. People are registering as lobbyists. I don't know, they're probably four or five now. Uh, some scientific research, a little of that. Everybody's trying to get in the game. Maybe money's a little easier, a little easier to get cooperation. That's well, I know, I want to say it was probably about eight months ago or so, we had talked about the app that was being created through Apple from Rojas, from Enigma Labs, for people to make it, you know, it, it was more easier for folks to upload their stories. Well, funny enough, it just showed up again in... Uh, military news on a military news site and a former neighbor of mine had you know tagged me in the article reading through it again um what are your thoughts on that sort of app and um the fact that it's going to be ai that's going to be filtering the the stories for what's credible and what's not <laughs> oh, boy easy <laughs> question um yeah, that, that's an easy one for you uh well <laughs> what can i say look um all right first and foremost ai is going to transform our world in ways that mark zuckerberg could have only dreamed of when he came up with facebook or what's his name could have dreamed of when he came up with twitter uh it's it's hard to describe how much effect and implication there is to this. Now, I still happen to think that the confirmation of the ET presence, particularly if it's followed up by a open contact with extraterrestrials, will have far greater implications on uh, human future, the Earth's future, than AI. But short of that, AI, oh my God. And uh, again, it's gonna be used for everything and every, the, every, every possible use will be debated. Uh, and uh, it's gonna be a, a hot topic in, for the rest of our lives, okay. And it has the potential to do great good and great, great harm. The, um, the thing though I like to mention about AI in the context of disclosure is that and by the way, apps to to help people report stuff and whatever, all that kind of, hey, that's fine. Let's democratize the whole field. But let's be clear. I don't care how many apps are out there and how many people can report it. It, it, it that's going to change the fact that that's, they're here. Right? We, 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 in other words, we already know they're here. If you want to report stuff that's going on, great. That's fine. Have some fun. But hopefully those apps will become a little bit more useful uh, and not just more reports. But whatever. Again, I assure you, the post-disclosure world is, and, and, the, and the last days of the truth embargo are going to employ all of this cool tech 
which includes podcasts, right? So that's all going to be in play. But the point I want to make is this. It's a little complicated. And I'm speculating. If you're an activist, speculating is practically unavoidable and, and, and perhaps necessary. But it helps to be a good speculator. All right? It's like, again, if you're speculating in the market, it's best if you're good at it. Otherwise, you'll lose all you got, right? Um, if I'm an extraterrestrial and I have been observing the planet or group of extraterrestrials observing the planet for quite a while, in the early 1900s, uh, because, again, been around, seen a lot of stuff, been there, done that, uh, I probably could have projected in the early 1900s where all of these technological trends were going to go on our planet within and, 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 and nail it within a decade. The development of atomic physics, the arrival of uh, quantum mechanics, the weaponization of atomic physics, right? missile technologies, computers, genetic science. I could probably, they're probably smart enough to know X number of decades, they're going to have that. X number of decades are going to be here. Plus, I could project the population and say, well, population 1900, such and such. By the year 2023, it'll be 8, 8 billion. In other words, they, they, they had a pretty good idea of what was ahead of us in 1900. And an even better idea of what was ahead of us in 1945. Because they learned something very important in 1945. Not just that we had nuclear weapons, which they probably already knew we were going to have in 1900. What they learned in 1945 is something they couldn't have been certain of. Is that we would build them. We would test them. And then we would drop them on ourselves. Not just warriors, but men, women, and children, cats and dogs, parakeets. In other words, we're that into it. Right? And so at that point, not surprisingly, as of 1946, everything changed. The relationship, the activities of the ETs changed. So the point I'm getting is this. Nuclear weapons proliferation and en enhancement, meaning faster, more, more uh, delivery systems, nastier, whatever, okay? Uh, weaponization of biological uh, weapons, okay? The advancement in genetic science uh, and the, the rise of artificial intelligence. And the impact of 8 billion people on a planet, right? That people think, ah, 8 billion, it's nothing. We can hold 20, 30, 40 billion. I saw a sci-fi movie where they said the population was 100 billion on the planet. Well, if it works for sci-fi, well, what can I say? I think the ETs were going, oh, my God, you people, can, you cannot get to 8 billion. Don't go to 8 billion. You do <laughs> not have the ability to deal with that. You can't support that. You can't feed, clothe that. It will be awful. Yeah, we did. So what am I trying to get at? AI is just one of a set of things which come under the heading of 
you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea how to deal with this. And basically any number of these things is going to put an end to your little parade. And the group of them are going to devastate you, take you back to the stone age and wish you were dead. And I get it. Right. And so those that have no idea about ETs or the UAP or disclosure or anything like that, they're just sitting around watching Ted talks as people explain to them how they're going to solve the plastic problem and the, the garbage patches and the, and the, and the massive uh, trash problem we have in the world where there's trash piles that are like 45 stories high and our inability to deal with disease and zoonotic diseases and what 8 billion people, what, what's going to happen when 2 billion people are actually really starving and how well they're going to take that and on and on and on. They're all kind of doing that. Go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're drowning in antidotes. So you have a situation in the country where people can't go to college anymore. It's harder and harder and less expensive. So less people are going and you're saying, well, okay, no problem. We just need more, you know, mechanic jobs or whatever. What do we need with intellectuals? But then, and then, but the antidote comes along. It'll be some, some disadvantaged kid who's really, really smart and got it really together and applies to a hundred schools. He gets accepted to everyone with full scholarship and people watch that antidote and they go, Hey man, it's good. Obviously, things are going well. No, they're not. That's just an antidote. And so essentially, the ETs would have known probably as early as the early 1900s, in about 125 to 30 years, your civilization is screwed. And Do you think at that point they would help us? Like, well, we just apparently that matters to it. them. It matters to them. Mm-hmm. This is what I'll be getting to in my presentation. Okay. Which I haven't done yet and probably won't do until 20 minutes before I get there. The point is, <laughs> is that I'm gonna I'm gonna hammer pretty hard. It's gonna get intense. People, some people are not gonna like it. But look, uh it really comes down to this. There is a reason why they are here. There is a reason why they do what they do, and we know a lot about what they do. And if if you're going to understand and if, if, if you want to have some positive feelings about the future again, you need to dive into this. You need to really get into it because I believe there is an answer here. And I'm going to get into that at the contact in the desert. Why are they here and why are they doing what they're doing? And it's going to come down and I'm, kind of spilling the beans here a little bit but it's okay politics the fundamental reason that they are here at this point in time is politics i'm not sure about 2000 bc 8000 bc 1000 ad whatever the hell i think there was kind of a political thing going on but nothing like now this is the real thing this is real politics politics wow Interesting, huh? So that's as far as I'm going to go on that. But all I can say is we have a legitimate concern about AI. And at this point, I don't believe there is a snowball's chance in hell that any government on the planet will even come close to being able to handle it in such a way 
it doesn't do huge amount of damage to huge numbers of people. Not everybody, of course. Not a chance in hell. Right. That was my concern about AI being used as a filter. Well, no, for, everything. It's going yeah. to it's going to it's going to affect education. It's going to take away jobs by the millions, if not hundreds of millions, around the planet. It's going to it's going to create fakes. It's going to become one of the great tools of disinformation and propaganda ever created. It's going to create chaos. It's going to technically make us obsolete. And and and, and when it first started turning up. I kept saying, is anybody over at, at, at Facebook or Google, did any of them watch the Terminator series? Did they not <laughs> yeah, go to that? True story. <laughs> yeah, I watched, I watched it. I mean, yeah, you watch that series and you go, oh, that's not good. That's not good. I'm thinking they must not have watched it because they're just charging along. Boston Robotics, okay. They've got robots that can actually go out and actually probably beat the Giants in baseball. So I'm going, oh, Jesus, what is it? And same thing with iRobot. Yeah, I guess they didn't watch that movie either. <laughs> they didn't watch, watch iRobot. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, if I am, if I'm a 19 or 20 or 22 year old, and I'm looking at the systems that we're dealing with now, when I'm looking at the future that I and my my kids, should I have kids, I didn't, you know, because pretty much I'm going, I'm not going to do that to a perfectly innocent human being bring them into this world now. So they're looking ahead and they're going, it's going to cost a million five to take the kid to college. And there's not going to be any jobs because it's all going to be done by artificial intelligence. And, you know, we're going to have to like have massive medical insurance because God knows the diseases are going to be coming out of the Pacific ocean. Once it's completely filled with plastic and on and on and on, not to mention the fact that nuclear war could happen at any time. I, I would, I would be on drugs. There's a reason the United States is a massive consumer of drugs, not just pharmaceuticals for your health, but drugs for your enjoyment, your pleasure, your high, whatever. Massive consumptions of every kind of drug that affects your mood, you can imagine. We are the biggest users in the world. So big, we have created massive industries outside of our country, which are often called cartels, to service this need and also create the plots of thousands and thousands of movies where good guys go and slaughter people of another ethnicity because they're actually serving the American public's drug need. I mean, this, we, we, we've gotten so used to that that it's like, well, it's the way it is, isn't it? And it's the way it is. Isn't that way? Right? And yeah. then along comes the cheapest, most powerful opioid of all time, meaning, hey, it's like, you want to get a high? A couple of bucks. You want to kill yourself? $15. Fentanyl. Did the ET see that coming? Probably. Sure. Why not? Are we are we going to be able to handle the fentanyl thing? No. We're not. Not even close. And so we're overwhelmed. We are not only we're not just ahead of our skis in terms of getting out there before we, we have our balance, we're just overwhelmed. Not just the United States, every country on the planet is overwhelmed. We're facing impossible to solve macroscopic things happening in our world. 
and we just can't deal with it. And people are withdrawing into depression, into entertainment, just going to binge some streaming series until I die. Try not to get too worried. Try not to get upset. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Los Angeles. I spent five months in West, in West Hollywood. I'm in northern Los Angeles right now. Hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of people have I walked by living on the sidewalk, sleeping on the sidewalk, face down without a blanket underneath them, mountains of trash, tents, some old, some infirm, some in wheelchairs. It's like a third world country and it's become completely normalized, meaning what can you do? All right. It's everywhere. Well, what can I say? And well, this, what we see in this, which is awful. There are countries where they're thinking that these people living in our street are middle class. Folks, we have a limited amount of time to get our act together, in which case it's game over. And well, for those that think, well, get what together? What is it we can do? I got one offer, one thing on the plate, as far as I'm concerned, and the truth embargo. Announce the ET presence. Start engaging the fact that we're not alone. Start rethinking everything we think about everything else. Open doors, open minds, and start reforming our government, our actions, and our worldview. We have a limited time to do that. The ETs are give, doing everything they can to, to bump us along, right? They keep putting those crop circles down every year. You know, people are going, oh, don't know how that happened. Don't I? You know, okay, fine. Keep showing up. We turn our nuclear weapons off. They land near school, not once, not twice, but many times they land near schoolyards. They get out and start putting messages into the kids' minds about all the destruction that we're going to do. Those kids are now in their 40s and 50s, and I suppose maybe playing a role in trying to adapt to this. They've done a lot. Now, people say, why don't they do more? Why don't they just melt all the missiles down and come down and help us out and, and direct and run things and whatever? I, I don't know. Ask them. Ask the ETs next time you see them. But it's not that they're not doing things. And it gets even more complicated. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually practicing for my lecture now uh, <laughs> with the people in Michigan. I know many of you are not going to be able to make it to Indian Wells because it's 40,000 miles. But look. <laughs> hey, they can go virtual. Yeah. Um, let me uh, let me put it this way. Um Look, I say politics, and I mean it. The United States has political relationships with all of the countries of South and Central America and Mexico. Diplomatic relationships, political relationships, a lot of politics going on. But at the same time, our corporations are down there, have been down there, mining up all the resources, <laughs> polluting their environment, screwing the indigenous people over and whatever. So you can have politics, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing going on. Mining the resources of some country in South America or, you know, getting rid of the, the rainforest in order to make a buck. That's not politics. That's capitalism. But then the politics is going on. Now, why am I saying this? Because we'll learn soon enough that the extraterrestrial presence is political, but not everything they're doing here is politics you follow me here you see what i'm yeah. saying yeah. there's other things going on that are not politics 
And so people shouldn't be shocked about that. It's like well, they turn our nuclear off, but then they take somebody in the middle of the night, take them up there and stick stuff in them and all that kind of, it's just not, that's wrong. Okay. Well, they got other there it is. That that was the next thing on the on the plate. Uh, Guy Merritt asked, "What um, your thoughts on abduction and what is what are going on with these abductions?" And you just started to hit on that. Sure, I know something about the abduction phenomena. I paid a lot of attention. Uh, I'm not a researcher, but they're serious they about it. To That's for damn sure. Okay, they're serious. This serious stuff. This isn't a hobby. And it's just reeks of genetics. They're not testing out new vaccines. Uh, It's genetic science. Hybrids is obviously by definition genetics, but I think there's even more to it than that. And is part of this activity they take uh, animal parts and uh, blood, mostly cattle, which happen to be very close to us genetically, but not but not monkeys. It's interesting because the closest animals to us are certain species of monkeys, but it doesn't appear to be happening, though it could be because it's out in the rainforest. Who the hell would know? Don't know. But certainly cattle, blood and certain tissues. There's a reason for that. We can speculate but I have a feeling that's likely connected. As far as the hybrid program, well, that's, what can I say? Uh, One of the most important questions we need to know post-disclosure, well, post-open contact, which hopefully will happen in a couple of years, where are they and why? That's kind of an important question. And we have a right to know that, we'll see. Okay. Um, And, Is it the most important thing that is happening here? No. The most important thing that is happening here with respect to ETs is their connection to our nuclear weapons proliferation and the Cold War. That's the most important thing, which I couldn't say if I didn't know for a fact that they've turned our weapons off on repeated occasions and the Soviet Union, as well as turning them on. And by the way, this... This, this pretty much started, as near as I can tell, all of these inner weapons tampering incidents occurred after, not long after the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was a very public situation where people thought we were going to have a nuclear war. And it turns out we came a lot closer than we knew at the time. It seemed close when I was watching it. And I think I was like, uh, a fra- a, no, I was a, where was I? I was a junior in high school. Okay, sitting there watching that going, hmm, this is not good. Um, But that's the most important thing. But this other stuff apparently is important to them. I, I, I would be inclined to think that if we can get disclosure, that the contact program will end. If I'm them, that's what I would do. Whatever they have gained from it, whatever, however it served them, they've been at it for a while. If we finally acknowledge worldwide that this the, the ETs are here, then immediately the contact was confirmed. All the contact, these stories are, well, the legitimate ones are all confirmed. And so now it's fully in play. That is, that is immediately going to make this program a lot more difficult. Because I assure you, because of the truth embargo, 
the range of things that people could do to maybe protect themselves or minimize this is like this, okay? Because it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to call up the local police department and say, look, I'm getting abducted by aliens. Can you help me out here? You're going to call the government? Who are you going to call? Nobody. And so all of a sudden, after, after disclosure, oh, the range increases like this. And just anticipating open contact in two years, if I'm them, I would kind of stop that. Put that beside. And then because you, if you're going to have open contact, you, you'd like to have uh, get off to on the right foot. And I'll, I'll even go a step further because, you know, I like speculating in certain ways. Is that after open contact, there may be a, 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 a communication with our leaders transferred to us that there is still work they would like to do. It has importance to them only with volunteers. You got to volunteer. And your government has agreed to compensate you. Whatever. That's possible. We do that, you know. We got all kinds of people that get paid to volunteer to do medical science research. So that's a possibility. Uh, so that, that this is my take on contact. Look, it is incredibly complex. And while the, there is a consistency to the many hundreds of thousands of reports, there are clearly outlying events, which probably are true, that are bizarre. And so all I can say is uh, what's most important is we have to get to a place where people can talk about this and be believed. That would be very helpful to a lot of people. And uh, I've always, always kept the contactee situation in my heart and my, my mind. And I, I'm willing to talk about it, obviously. But I have not made it the front uh, uh, of my activism because trying to get contact into the head of some Washington Post journalist is simply not possible. Yeah, you got to getting them to look at the nuclear weapons thing. It's like brutal. Yeah. But in terms of contact, their brains would explode. And I don't want to explode the brains of some nice reporter at the New York <laughs> Well, you got to start somewhere. First, can we... Uh, can we get disclosure and acknowledge that these things are flying around here and that they are here? Let's well, they've let's acknowledged that they're here. flying around. Yes. They've acknowledged that they're unknown. They have said now in, in, in several instances that we don't have that tech. And so people are saying, well, go the final step. You've done everything but say they're, they're non-human tech from elsewhere. They can't take that final step because that would muck up the process that we're seeing now where the members of Congress and the DOD and all of that can kind of do the right thing and get to the president. It's the president that must tell us, yeah, that thing that we don't know how they fly, that we don't have that tech, that thing you're referring to, that's not human. That's non-human technology. Not, you know, not humans didn't build it. Humans aren't flying it or humans are not controlling it. And then the question is, where are they from? Well, I, I think I know, but we can't prove it unless we really get in direct contact with them. But I should point out that if you watch Ancient Aliens, and I do, 
right? Big fan. Of course, I'm not an archaeologist, I suppose. If I was an archaeologist, I'm sure I'd probably be sitting there, you know, like Elvis Presley, just blowing the TV up with a 44 <laughs> Magnum. But no, 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 no. I, I understand what an ancient aliens is like uh, on point and what is it. The point is, if there's all this evidence in, in ancient times that has come forward in various ways where basically the ETs are telling us who they are and where they're from, you know? And, and, and to, and to uh, refer to a maxim that's going around of late, if somebody tells you who they are and where they're from, believe them. So there you go. Yeah. I think they're from other planets. All right. Well, we've got about a few minutes left, and, and we're going to be going on two hours. And so one question came through, and uh, Diane, I believe it was Diane Boss, she asked, she wanted to know what your thoughts were on like the uh, TTSA and Stephen Greer and his uh, efforts going forward. Um, care to expand on that at all? Oh, the TTSA, to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. It's actually the TTAAF. Uh, and then it became to the Stars. Uh, and it's morphed into mostly just an entertainment. But it was a very significant event that took place in October of 2017. Uh, and Tom DeLong was a musician and he was kind of the lead. The name was a little funky, but that's not what was important about it. What was important is this was a vehicle in which 10 members with the long careers, the military intelligence community in multiple areas came forward as citizens with an intention to do something. And what we now know is, and the truth embargo. Of the 10, three have become what we'll call the, the, the points of the spear. The other ones are still there and they occasionally talk, but the, there's three that are out front. And it's inter interestingly enough, these three who are part of the original uh, group of the, of the TTS, now with TTS, and some are still in it. Um, one is still in it, I believe, still a member of the advisory committee to the to the start. Uh, you've got Luis Elizondo, his area is military and intelligence. You've got Christopher Mellon, his area is politics. And you've got Gary Nolan, his area is science. Right? Now, Lou Elizondo has done everything but say the extraterrestrials are here. And I think a couple of times he kind of slipped up. Christopher Mellon has pretty much alluded to it, gone pretty far. And Gary Nolan, just about a week ago, went on a talk show in New York, a pretty substantial talk show, was it a podcast, and spent 17 minutes explaining why, yeah, there's extraterrestrials here. They've been here for a long time, really meaning that they come and go and come and go, come and go for a long time. And, uh, and uh, uh, what was the other thing? Extras are here, and they've been here for a long time. Yeah. He said, flat sat it. Okay. Uh, he's and he and he, he he said it before, similar on 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 a, on Fox News, and so way back in two thousand and eight, at the National Press Club press conference I held after each one of my ex conferences, astronaut Edgar Mitchell, Doctor of Aerophysics, astrophysics, went in front of the cameras and said, "There's an extraterrestrial presence here." Not much came from that. It was two thousand eight. Then in 2016, Bob Bigelow, who had a big contract with NASA, goes on 60 Minutes and says there's extraterrestrials here. Okay. All right. And then some years go by, 
And then now you've got a member of Congress, Tim Burchette, who, because he has been talking to this issue, is now getting all kinds of press and turning up on shows and being asked a lot of things. In other words, he's become a significant player in the, in the Republican arena, whereas before nobody even knew he existed, which is fine. Tim Burchette keeps saying in one venue after another, there's extraterrestrials here. And now Gary Nolan has said there's extraterrestrials here. So what you could expect going forward now is every week or so, somebody with a, a, what I call high rank and station, substantial career achievement, whatever, is going to say there's extraterrestrials here. And every time you see that, that's just one more reason why you not, must know and understand the truth embargo is a dead policy walking. It's over. It's done. Now, the, the other thing, though, that, that Nolan implied, I think, I think Burchette has also said it, but I'm not positive, because there's a corollary statement that I say often, right? Love to say it on CNN, MSNBC. Call me, guys, okay? My phone <laughs> number hasn't changed in 26 years is there's extraterrestrials here and the United States government has known that since no later than 1947. Those two statements together, you're going to see some people saying that pretty soon, not just me. Could be a former Secretary of Defense, could be a former head of you know, national intelligence, but you're going to hear that one too. And you're going to say, well, that's truth, that's, that's disclosure. No, it's not. That's just one more bump, but it's more than that. And we'll finish with this. Every time a significant person makes a significant statement on this issue, it's deliberate, right? And, and that includes pilots and includes anybody that, again, in, in, of the type that I mentioned, whether they know it or not, they're closing the back door to the escape room, okay? In other words, the media and the world is coming in the front door, going to get into the government's house and basically saying, look, okay, what else are you going to do? Well, I'm going to do that, do this, pass some legislation, expect that. All right, get going, keep going, keep going. And there's a lot of people in government going, oh, my God, I got to go out of here. Let's go out the back door. Except the back door is locked. Gary Nolan is helping lock it. Others will do the same. The back door is locked. There's no back door. And so they either deal with it or, well, I guess they just, just stand there in the middle of the room looking like idiots. And I don't think they want to do that. So that's another reason why we're in the end days here. Uh, all every every statement, every action, every every research effort, every podcast, every news article all of it together it's and it's taken a lot far more than you would expect in almost in any other situation it has taken this massive effort to put the government in to squeeze it and squeeze it until you truth you you compress the coal that is the truth embargo and get a diamond which is the truth it has been a hard road, but this road is almost over. And I'll be talking about that. We contact in the desert, June two to four. Indian That's awesome. Road. Okay. All right, folks. All right.
All right. Well, we thank you, Stephen. Yeah, we yeah. are good, man. So we really appreciate you coming on. And uh, maybe uh, we can get you back after uh, Contact in the Desert and do a quick sure. interview with you and, you know, fill us in on how things went and, you know, let our audience know because I'm sure they're going to be very sure. interested on how I'll everything tell you what, went. Is anybody in your group or anybody up there in that fine state of Michigan, which I never made it to, Wish I'd gone. I really wish I'd gone. Boy, my life would have been different. And yet, almost <laughs> certainly, I would not have ended up where I am. And that's the way you got to think about it. All right? All right. Somebody can get some nice big size auditorium. And if they can fill it up, call me. I'll come up there. Absolutely. I'll give you the old stage routine. Okay? Fair enough? All right. Sounds great. Right. Thank you very much, Stephen. Great having you You're on. Welcome. Have a great Bye. night. Whoo! Hey, everybody. That was intense. I'm telling you. How's everybody we were, doing out there? <laughs> we were all over the place in chat. I even got to a point I'm like, you know, H.G. Wells got his yeah. inspiration somewhere with War of the Worlds. Whoo! Under the water, under the ground. Hey, I said this was going to be one heck of a show. This is going to be a damn fine show. Yeah, it was a damn fine show. Damn fine show. Metalhead, we see you. Hey, man, thanks for we joining know, we us. We know you were fashionably late. Right. Zach Diecast Monsoor as well. Mr. C, good seeing you. I know Dorothy was over on Facebook saying that Facebook was looking good and uh, everything was working well over there. So that's awesome. So real quick before we head out of here, what do you guys think? I'm going to put some background music on here real quick. <laughs> like, what happened? Am I still in there? that's another discussion right <laughs> straw dog says another great show thank you very much straw dog yeah we were we were gone for a week and and we are back with a vengeance so and in about three weeks i'll be heading down to north carolina for the uh cosmic summit with randall carlson so yeah all right dorothy Good seeing you. Yes, we're gonna get Stephen Bassett back on after, for sure, after the the contact in the desert. Uh, we, we have been getting bookings like crazy. Uh, so next Saturday. <laughs> yeah. So next Saturday we have the um, what do I want to say? The center or the topic of the book symmetry. And that is Dolly Saffron. So the book written by Preston Dennett called Symmetry. She will be here as our guest to discuss her lifelong addiction, addiction, <laughs> her lifelong abductions of working with the aliens and things like that. Um, it's going to be fascinating. And I got to dig into that book here soon. But don't forget, as Stephen was saying, June uh, 2nd and 3rd. Let me just double check. Uh, 2nd through the 4th. Contact in the Desert 2023. And just head on over to their website. And I'm sure there is a way that you can uh, get on their virtual uh, system and watch all that UFO paranormal stuff that's going to go on there. So, yep, yep, yep. So, all right, everybody. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. And 
We're glad to be back. We're glad to see all of you here. Don't forget, please like, share, and subscribe out everything. Don't forget, if you want to support us, there's always PayPal. There's uh, the buy me a coffee if you want to send us a tip, you know, all that good stuff. But I guess, Michelle? We will see you next Saturday. Next Saturday at 8 p.m. Have a great night, everyone. Have a great night. And remember, keep your eyes to that sky. Yeah. Damn fine video. Damn fine video. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.